get up between usually 6.45 to 7.15ish and we'll try to get a workout or a run in. And then we have to be in the schoolroom by 8.30. Monday morning, I'd wake up early. I'd have to go to school practice in the morning. We'll have lunch between 11 and 12, and everyone helps out, set the table, get chores done. I would start school at 10, and then I'd go from 10 all the way to 4.25. We coach kids. So that's 4.45 to 5.45. So we, we leave the house by 4. So we eat dinner at 3. Once school is over, I would go back home, I'd grab a lunch, something to eat, and then I'd have to make my way right to club soccer practice. This isn't the schedule of a professional or even a college athlete. It's the schedule kept by a couple of club soccer players at FC Dallas. And then I'd go home, shower, eat, do all my schoolwork, and just repeat that cycle over and over again. They're part of the well-established club soccer scene in North Texas, one that draws visits from college coaches across the country. I think soccer has grown exponentially because people that actually played at a very high level are getting back into the game and um, you know, coaching youth teams. I'm Bailey Friday, and with the Women's World Cup underway, Texas wants to know, how did North Texas become a youth soccer hotbed? Before Alex Morgan and Megan Rapino led the U.S. women's team to a World Cup title four years ago. Before Abby Wambach and Carly Lloyd did the same in 2015. Even before Brandi Chastain's iconic penalty kick in 1999. The U.S. won the very first Women's World Cup back in 1991. It was incredible because, you know, all these other teams throughout the world have, you know, European championships. They have big tournaments. They have all these things. And the U.S. didn't, I feel like we are naive. We didn't have a lot of experience playing in international tournaments. And so we went over to China in 91 and just blown away by the attendance. I mean, you know, we were playing in front of 80,000 people and, you know, we had never experienced that before in our entire life. Four players who played for Sting's soccer club in Dallas were invited to play on the U.S. national team. Two ultimately went, Tracy Bates-Leone and the woman whose voice you just heard, Carla Overbeck. North Texas has always been a hotbed. You know, the kids that come out of North Texas are really great soccer players and the knowledge that they have in the game technically you know, it's exciting to see, you know, just happy that I grew up there and was on a very good club team and was very fortunate throughout my career that, you know, I, I had that, you know, North Texas to kind of fall back on. Now, Overbeck didn't walk right off the club field and onto the World Cup stage. She actually debuted with the U.S. women's national team in 1988. That's when she was playing in college at North Carolina. Back in 91, we came back from China and people were like, what, a World Cup? Like, we didn't even know the women's, you know, U.S. soccer had a women's team. And so fast forward to 99, you know, stadiums are being sold out. We're having record crowds. You know, the final in the Rose Bowl was in front of 90,000 people. I feel like the Olympics helped that in 96 in Atlanta. Um, And just, you know, America loves winners. And um, our team was pretty good and pretty successful. Anyone who follows women's soccer knows that Pretty good 
is a massive understatement. The U.S. has won four of the eight Women's World Cups. Overbeck was a captain on the team from 1993 to 2000. She's been an assistant coach at Duke since 1992. But let's bring our focus back to North Texas. How did a part of the country for which American football is a way of life become so big in the youth soccer scene? I mean, I think, you know, the sting definitely played a part in it. You know, I know there were some other big clubs, the Defeaters, the Gunners, the I think Solar was even, you know, in existence back then. But, you know, I, I just feel like because it was a really large metropolitan area and there were lots of young girls wanting to play soccer. You know, I think just because Sing, I think, got a head start and just sort of established a program. And, you know, I know we traveled a lot and won a couple national championships, and that always helps. I think it's a lot of the coaches that laid the groundwork in the 80s. You know, you had a lot of guys that had uh, come here um, after college, and there was already, you know, a soccer movement. And I think them, along with the influence of immigration, you know, coming uh, north of the border brought a huge interest in soccer from that part of the North Texas population. Gavin Dawson is one of the hosts of G-Bag Nation on KRLD's sister station 105.3 The Fan. He also coaches select soccer for the Dallas Surf. There was a, a, a really good combination of factors. I think the Dallas Cup being a premier tournament going back into the 80s, maybe even earlier. I'm not sure exactly when it came together, but it, it positioned Dallas for decades as soccer was becoming popular as a destination. And, you know, once people arrived here, they saw a very high level of soccer. North Texas is very intense, very, very intense. Like a lot of the, just the parents and the families here, very intense and very, take it very seriously. That's Nyla Norris. She's one of the girls you heard at the beginning of this episode describing her daily schedule during the school year. She plays for FC Dallas U-17 girls team. Her 18-year-old brother, Nolan, is a homegrown FC Dallas defender who's appeared in two MLS matches this season. Nyla's younger sister, Neely, has played for FC Dallas but is making the switch to Sting this year. Since you switched from FC Dallas to Sting, is there like a rivalry in the house now? No, no, not really. It was kind of hard changing to sing because every single other person in my family plays for FC Dallas. But the coaching instinct, the coach that I have now, is he's really good and I love playing for him. And moving to sing was a great decision for this next year. The Norrises are all homeschooled and they all live in Salina. So how many of y'all are there? There's six of us. But no one's graduating, so there's only going to be five next year. And this is just my own curiosity. So, if there's six of y'all, how many of you drive? Only my oldest brother. So how do you all get to practice every day? Uh, my mom and dad, they uh, they divide and conquer. It's really helpful since some of us are at Epstiles and then Neela's at Sting. There are a couple teammates that live close to us that can take her and um, they can just drop us off at our fields, go pick someone else up. The second voice you heard at the beginning of this episode belongs to Anna Carrera. She also has a family tie to FC Dallas. Her brother, Antonio, is a goalkeeper for the MLS team. I've basically been around soccer my whole entire life, you know, growing up with two older brothers who started playing since they were young with my little brother as well. And just 
growing up around my family who have all watched soccer. So just like all the family reunions, you know, are basically based around soccer. She's going into her senior year of high school and opted not to play club soccer this year. However, she'll still play for Frisco ISD's Wakeland High School team. I'll focus my senior year on doing more things in life, which could help me with, you know, my professional career in the future, focus still on sports and soccer. However, more of the media behind everything and how everything has worked, the management. So I'm going to be spending most of my time next year, my senior year, trying to get different sorts of internships to help me just get ahead in life before starting college. It sounds like a mature decision to make, but maybe one that comes more naturally for girls who have been playing soccer almost since the moment they could walk. You know, by the time girls are four, five, six years old, there's programs like Solar and Sting and uh, Dallas Surf, which I coach with, FC Dallas, that have what North Texas calls the academy program, you know, and that's different from the actual academy system that an MLS team runs. Um, but it's just a way of, you know, creating like a pre-competitive division for kids that are serious about soccer and their families. And then when they hit um, 12, 13 years old, that is when it goes into officially select soccer and they sign contracts with teams and you are like locked into this team for a year. Overbeck says she was in Sting's program from a young age. I tried out for the Sting soccer club when I was 11 for like the U14 team because I just had U14, U16, U19 back then. And you made the U14 team as an 11 year old? Yes. Yep. They were worried because I was little and I was skinny. And um, I feel like the director thought that, you know, I don't know, I don't want her to get hurt. And my dad just said, you know, listen, she she made it. You guys chose her as one of the better players. So let her do it. And, you know, I have three older siblings, so I got after it. It's highly competitive and there's a lot of strategies for acquiring talent. You know, some coaches that have been around are scouring rec fields in kindergarten to accumulate the best core group that they can at a very young age and keeping that together. It becomes a, a, a situation where the, the top teams are being built by a combination of the best coaches and the best salespeople. And those salespeople can be coaches, they can be team managers, they can be directors of the club, but those marketing skills, those sales skills and inter- interpersonal, it's very important in, in the player acquisition process. So how are your sales skills? We have a a great group. You know, I would say our situation is unique. I pride myself as a good coach, but, you know, I, I think for us, we're a rare team that we have stayed together uh, with our core group since we were little. You know, I started my team just to coach my daughter and give her a a place in recreational soccer where she could build confidence because she was struggling at the academy uh, level, the pre-competitive level. And I just fell in love with coaching and got educated and, you know, continued on with it. And now it's years later. Nyla, you've described your schedule earlier. Do you ever feel like you're missing out on social activities with everything you've got going on? I mean, I would rather be at the fields, like training my own or watching someone else's practice than be anywhere else. Like, I love to just be at the fields. Like right now where we're off in the two weeks, me and a friend or two, we're going to field 18 
while my brothers are at practice and we're training on our own. Like, I just love being at the fields. Neely, is that why you do it too? The love of the game and seeing what people, like the women national team, seeing that level, seeing my brother play pro makes me want to be there too. So the love of the game and just drive. Definitely passion and love for the game, but also being able to do it with all of my siblings. Like we get up and we go run, all of us together, not Nolan because he's at practice obviously, but like getting up and going and seeing the joy on everyone's face when we finish, knowing that we accomplish something to get closer and closer to our goals every day and being able to train with them and always having a partner to be with. Like I'd never have to do it on my own. I always have someone there with me. Mm-hmm. We just push each other and it's just love for the game. Not only is club soccer time consuming, but it can also be wildly expensive. Everybody is working an angle trying to pitch to parents essentially why they should give them the in between twelve hundred and forty five hundred and upwards of ten grand a year for their kids to play in these leagues. But the Norrises take a self-sufficient approach to the cost of club soccer. They all work to help pay their way. So I started with Nolan. I think he was U13 going to Mexico, I believe. And he said, he told my parents, he's like, I don't want you to pay for my plane flight. So he started mowing yards and doing lawn work and all that sort of stuff and paid for his full Mexico trip. And then ever since then, we've all just started paying for our trips. He wanted to work for it Mm -hmm. and he wanted to earn it. And he would, he had a friend and they would go to Little Caesars, they would split a pizza and he would go get a vitamin water and that he, that was his his dinner. And it was only like less than $10 and he was always very proud of himself. It can get a lot of food for not much money at Little Caesars. It's kind of just carried on like down the line, like we all just want to pay for our parts, you know, we don't want to, because especially with six kids, five kids playing for, playing club, like it adds up very quickly. We all started doing lawn work, and we would make $1, like, or $2 an hour. And sometimes we'd make $2, and my mom would be like, okay, do y'all want to go to Quick Trip and buy a big gulp for $1 and have $1 left? So sometimes we'd be like, yes, and sometimes we'd be like, no, we want to save my dollar. So, yeah, that's what we would do. Now... Yeah, now, so I crochet, I knit. I do like a lot of crafty stuff, so I have my own business. I sell soap and candles and blankets and stuff. That's how I make money. She coaches, I coach too a little bit. Uh, Nolan coaches. My brothers do, we have this neighbor in our neighborhood and they go over there and they fold laundry for her and do like the dishwasher and stuff like that. So that's kind of, We just have little different jobs. Like, we'll go let dogs out of people's houses, make like $10 or something. In other parts of the world, they have a system where the clubs foot the bill, you know? So it's more of a just go be awesome. It's not a pay to play type of thing. And the exclusive nature of, you know, a lot of the leagues, they are effectively boxing out anybody that's not super talented enough to get a scholarship or parents don't have 5,000 bucks to give to the process. Despite the expense of the U.S. system, Dawson says it's working to a certain degree on both the men's and women's side. And the system's producing a lot of great players. And these these players need to get an environment where they're competing against other great players. And, you know, the proof's in the pudding right now. We're turning over the women's national team, and what's coming up is not a disappointment. might even be better. And we're turning over the men's national team in a, in a very impressive way. It's the, it's the best collection of talent 
um, that the men have ever boasted. You know, and on an individual level, we'll, we'll see if they can have the most team success. But there's no doubting this system has flaws, but it's also working in a huge way. Yeah. We'll all get to see how well it's working this month with the World Cup taking place in Australia and New Zealand. In case you're wondering, Sydney is 15 hours ahead of Texas. I'm a little nervous because there's a lot of soccer being played, you know, throughout the world. And um, obviously, I my heart is with the U.S. and I want them to win another one. But the competition is it's tough and it is it's getting a lot tougher, I believe. You would want them to win, you know, get that three P. But, you know, there's also a lot of things that come with it and it's not as easy as one may think. So, of course, they're going to have to compete. You know, it's. It's going to be hard, but I mean, the expectation is, of course, to take home the gold. So, Carla, what do you expect to see from the U.S. team this summer? Usually every four years, you know, this big event comes along and you have that infusion of young players um, with the older players that have more experience and have been there before. I think the the great thing is Vladko has he has a you know he has a tough job, but, you know, good that he has so many so many choices and um, you know, there's, there's some incredible players out there, young, old, you know, he's going to have a tough, tough time. I think narrowing the team down. It's a group that's been hit by injuries ahead of the world cup, including the forwards, Mallory Swanson and center back Becky Sauerbrunn, all of whom were on the 2019 squad and having won back-to-back titles. Overbeck says there are plenty of threats to a U.S. three-peat. Serena Wegman, you know, she, was unbelievable in bringing the Dutch side to uh, the World Cup final in France. Now she's coaching England. Unfortunately, they've had, you know, five injuries to some st- some of their starters. But, um, you know, obviously the U.S. is good. Um, France, Spain, Germany, um, the Dutch, uh, the English. I mean, there are there are so many teams that on any given day, um, I think, could beat anyone else. And so. Um, you know, I'm, I'm positive Ladko will have the team ready and um, he'll make great choices. And, uh, you know, hopefully the team rocks on. Go USA, right? The first U.S. match is Friday, July 21st at 8 p.m. Central Time against Vietnam. The World Cup runs through August 20th. I'm Bailey Friday at News Radio 1080 KRLD in Dallas, Fort Worth. Thank you so much for joining me on Texas Wants to Know. If you like the show, please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode was written and produced by Chris Blake with editorial support from Cooper Mall and original music by Michael Eisenstein. Odyssey's managing producer for national news podcasts is Myron Kaplan.